Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to my podcast, But First Pivot. I'm Danny, registered dietitian, certified sports dietitian, and CEO of Pivot Nutrition Coaching. I'm here to share my all foods fit approach and real life client success stories to inspire you to pivot away from all the fad diet nonsense and confusion. My goal is to simplify nutrition so you can enjoy foods you love like donuts and pizza and still achieve your health, performance, and body composition goals. Hello, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. I'm so excited for today's episode. I have a Special guest with me, Dr. Heather Finley. She is a registered dietitian and gut health specialist who has helped hundreds of women find relief from their digestive symptoms and finally feel like themselves again. So if you're struggling with gut issues, bloating, this episode is for you. Welcome, Heather. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Did I miss anything in the intro that you want people to know about you? I don't think so. I'm sure it will come up as we're chatting. So there's lots of things about me, but that that sums it up. Well, maybe the next question will help. So before we dive into today's topic, which will primarily be bloating, can you share why or how you became specialized in gut health? Because I feel like dietitians, we all become dietitians because of our own stories. Yes, you're so right. I became a dietitian for, I always tell people, for selfish reasons. Um, um, And those reasons, there were two reasons. Number one is I was a swimmer my whole life and in college, and I selfishly just wanted to know what I could eat to swim as fast as possible. I was very interested in kind of the sports nutrition realm. I remember being a young high school swimmer and this dietitian came to speak to our team. And I remember leaving and I told my mom, like, that is the coolest job. That is what I want to do. And I always wanted to be a teacher. And so I thought, okay, that's a cool way that I could teach, but just something more sciencey, which I also love. So that was reason number one. The other reason was that for about 20 years of my life, I struggled with really severe digestive issues, including bloating, which is, I know, what we're going to talk about today. Um, And I have a very typical story probably to many people who have struggled with bloating for a long period of time. I went to all the doctors. I did all the tests. Everything was quote unquote normal. I was told either it's all in your head, you just need to relax or um, just take Miralax or just eat more fiber, just drink more water. And I was like, I've already tried all of those things. And these are either making my symptoms worse or not helping at all. And so really, I was kind of looking for another solution. Fast forward, went to school, studied nutrition, graduated college with my undergrad in nutrition. And kind of felt like a fraud. I was like, I still have digestive issues. I still have no idea how to fix my own issues and felt like maybe I just went into the wrong field. Like maybe I just picked the wrong career, kind of had this like identity crisis that I feel like you shouldn't have when you're 21 years old (laughs) Um, and was like, how am I supposed to help other people if I can't even help myself? And so that kind of sent me down this wild journey, really looking into nutrition from a different perspective. So looking at it more from a functional lens, I'm looking at how the entire body works together versus looking at it system by system, which I feel like is kind of how we're taught in school. Like, oh, you have blood sugar issues, like do this thing. You have digestive issues, do this thing versus looking at 
how does the gut affect all the other systems in the body? Because not only was I having digestive issues, I had hormone issues, I had fatigue, I had thyroid issues. And so this huge light bulb moment went off for me when I was actually in my doctorate program of like, wow, I have been approaching this all wrong. I've been thinking about my digestive issues only from the standpoint of what shouldn't I eat in order to improve my bloating. And the reality was it was more about what I should be eating to improve my bloating and the other pieces of my life, my stress, all the underlying um, things going on in my gut, which we can talk about more, but all the other things that were affecting the symptoms I was having. And when this light bulb moment went off, I was like, it is my mission to help as many women as possible find relief from bloating because nobody should have to get a doctorate to figure out their digestive issues. <laughs> so that's kind of what landed me here and now, you know, into what I do. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, I also wanted to be a teacher. So it's funny that we both wanted to be teachers and became dietitians. And I like that you mentioned that everything is interconnected because oftentimes when there is uh, a gut issue, usually the hormones are not in balance, like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, testosterone, those are off too. Um, and usually there's there's multiple symptoms which can be tied to many things. And I think that we usually, as humans, we always think, what do I need to take out? Whether whether we're trying to lose weight, whether we're trying to improve our gut health or get rid of some frustrating acne, what can I take out? What can I eliminate mm-hmm. to achieve X, Y, Z? And it sounds like what we're going to talk about is what can we add, right, rather than eliminate. Sometimes we need to eliminate, but we're, we're talking more from an additional standpoint. Now, we're going to talk about bloating and we're going to start to dive into it. But first, I feel like I, I need you to explain or describe bloating because I have have clients tell me, I don't know if I'm bloated. Like, I think I'm bloated, but I'm not sure. And it seems it's almost like they're embarrassed to say that because they don't know if they're bloated. So how do you know if you're bloated or how do you describe it? Mm -hmm. It is sometimes hard to tell. Like, am I bloated? And especially because a lot of the clients that we work with, which is probably similar to yours, they're chronically bloated. And so they're like, is this just my normal? Or is this, is there actually something wrong? Like they're waking up bloated and then they just get even more bloated throughout the day and it maybe decreases a little bit overnight. So bloating is abdominal distension. Basically what that means is your abdomen is distended maybe farther than normal because of gases that are built up in your gut. Um, A lot of people will describe this as they feel like they're full of hot air. They feel like they could like pop their stomach with a balloon. Um, But the other side of bloating can also be your stomach is rock hard. Um, We see this a lot in a lot of our clients that have SIBO is they'll say like, my stomach is so distended and full of gas, it hurts. And my abdomen is like protruded out, but it is hard as a rock. It's not, I don't necessarily feel like I could deflate my stomach like a balloon. I feel like it, if I had a needle, it would completely pop. And so you could kind of be on either end of that spectrum, but bloating is any kind of distension. What I want to say about bloating too is some bloating is normal. It is normal to get a little bit bloated after you eat a huge plate of broccoli. It's a little bit normal to get bloated somewhat around your period. It's normal to be bloated if you 
you know, ate more sodium than normal. What isn't normal is if your bloating is chronic in that like it's every single day, you're waking up with it, it doesn't resolve with time, etc. So a little bloat isn't necessarily something to panic about. Yeah, and I like that you kind of differentiated and explained what is normal, but what makes me sad or heartbroken is when people come to me or come to us as dietitians and say, yeah, I've been bloated for years and they've accepted that as normal and they think that's just the way that they have to go about life. And nobody likes to feel bloated. It's terrible when it's just for an hour after a meal and these people feel bloated for years and years. And it just breaks my heart. So hopefully some people are listening. They've had chronic bloating and they're like, hey, there is a solution to this. I don't Mm -hmm. have to live this way because especially women, like I feel like nobody likes to be bloated, but women especially. It's just not good, especially when... You know, one of the the bloatings that you mentioned, it's like some people claim that they look pregnant, but they're really just chronically bloated. Yeah. The common phrase that we hear is, I feel six months pregnant by the end of the day. And if you're saying that about your bloating, that is not normal. There's something going on. Yeah. So how would you differentiate acute and chronic bloating? Is chronic like three plus months? Is there a specific number to that? And also what causes each of them? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know a specific time frame necessarily for chronic, but if it's if it's been, yeah, three plus months and you are six months pregnant and bloated by the end of the day, then definitely there's something going on. You can acutely be bloated if let's say you just had food poisoning and your stomach is kind of getting back to normal. Or let's say you traveled and you didn't have good bowel movements while you were traveling. And so now you're back home and you're waiting for everything to kind of normalize out. Or maybe you're acutely bloated for a couple of days during your period, um, but it goes away. Still, I mean, in some sense, all of those things would be worth looking into. Like, why can't you go to the bathroom while you're traveling? What, how is your gut now affected now that you had food poisoning? You know, how are your hormones affected with the bloating, et cetera? But if it's just these like very acute things and it doesn't bother you for most of the year, probably not something to panic about. But if it's every day you're experiencing bloating or most days out of the week, you feel six months pregnant and bloated probably something to look into because it's likely having a greater effect not on just your bloating. It's probably also affecting your mood and your hormones and energy, brain fog, etc. And when it comes to acute bloating, I feel like common things are like, okay, it's your it's your period. You know, you traveled, haven't had a bowel movement. Are there specific foods or types of foods that will typically cause bloating? Yeah. So a lot of the cruciferous vegetables are things that will cause bloating. So things like broccoli, cauliflower, um, Brussels sprouts, et cetera. If you eat a large amount of those, it's likely that you might be a little bit bloated after and probably gassy. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. They are gas forming vegetables. So, you know, if you reduce the amount, you can probably avoid some of those symptoms, mix it up with some other non-cruciferous gas forming vegetables. Um, For some people, if they are lactose intolerant, dairy can definitely cause bloating and gas and 
you know, lactose intolerance is something pretty common that we see. It's not necessarily the dairy that's the problem. It's that they can't digest the actual lactose. And so sometimes even just switching to like lactose free can make a huge difference for people. Um, alcohol is another thing that can cause bloating. Um, just for, for what it's worth, you know, it affects the gut in several different ways. So, um, you know, you may find that after you consume alcohol the next day, you might be a bit more bloated. Um, even things like bubbly water, those are really popular right now. And I love a good LaCroix or sparkling water, but those naturally are gas forming or they have gases in them. So they can cause bloating as well. But one of the number one things that we see cause bloating for a lot of our clients is not necessarily the food that they're eating. It's how they're eating. They're eating really fast. They're not chewing their food. They're drinking really quickly through straws. Um, you know, they're eating while they're distracted. They're swallowing a lot of air. And that is going to contribute to bloating as well. That reminds me of, I think, one of the first paragraphs in your book because you recently published a book. What's it called, Heather? Mm -hmm. Remind me. It's the Healthy Happy Gut Cookbook. Yes. And at the beginning, there's a lot of education on things like diarrhea, constipation. And one of the first things that I read was that it's it might not be the food, it's your environment. It's it's how you walk into the meal. Are you about to eat and you're very stressed and you're shoveling food, you know, down your throat. So these are very simple things that people can do before they move on to all the testing and the supplements. It's just like, hey, eat seated, take four deep breaths, chew your food 30 times. If you've never tried to chew a cracker until it's applesauce consistency, challenge extended. I did that with a group of athletes. We had some Ritz crackers, and I'm like, I want to see how many times you can chew it before it completely dissolves. And it took me 29 chews of this cracker before it just disintegrated. And it's wild to think that this is how we should be eating, but when we actually do it, it feels silly. Mm-hmm. It totally does because it's not the social norm. I was actually on a call with our clients last night. And we were talking about this, like the shame that can come from sitting down and actually taking the time to eat a meal. And I'm like, this is so messed up that we feel guilty for doing something that we know is good for us, but yet like we can't give ourselves permission to actually sit down, chew our food, enjoy our food because we feel like we don't have enough time to do that. Or like, I don't have a lunch break or I have to work through lunch, you know, whatever it might be. Right, right. And then when it comes to chronic bloating, I'm sure there's multiple causes. But from your experience, what are some main causes of chronic bloating? So some of the main causes that we see are poor digestive output. So that whether that's stomach acid, whether that's pancreatic enzymes, whether that's bile flow, there's so many things that happen before food actually gets to your gut that have to work, as you now know. And so we're always looking for those things first because you could like throw all the bloat supplements at your gut, but if you can't digest food, then it doesn't really matter what you're doing. You have to be able to break down food mechanically first by chewing and then chemically through hydrochloric acid and digestive enzymes and everything else. So that's a number, number one cause that we see. Um, we also see SIBO as another reason, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or even just general dysbiosis in the large intestine. So what this means is there is an imbalance of good and bad bacteria in your gut. So there's either too many bad bacteria or too few good bacteria or a 
combo of both. Those are probably the top two things. Um, another thing that might surprise people is stress. When you are stressed, your body does not prioritize digestion. Um, and so although that's not like a direct cause, it has direct effects on the rest of the digestive system, including your digestive enzymes and stomach acid and everything else. Um, if you think about it really simply, stress is stress to the body. So whether you're stressed about sitting in traffic or a work meeting or the food you're about to eat or whatever it is, your body thinks that there's a tiger sitting right next to you and you need to run as fast as possible. So why would it prioritize eating a meal if it thinks it needs blood flow in your muscles to run away as fast as possible? So really kind of stress is the overarching theme um, that has these effects on your digestive enzymes and stomach acid and gut bacteria and gut motility and everything else. And most people are stressed. I think the latest statistic is one out of three Americans is extremely stressed. So mm -hmm. most people. Yep. Most people. And it's really sad, but that's the reality of kind of the situation that we're in as a nation. So definitely. Yeah. I, don't, I haven't ran as many stool tests as you. You've probably run hundreds and hundreds. I think I've probably run 15 at this point. But what I mm -hmm. notice a lot when people struggle with GI-related issues is that dysbiosis. So their good gut bacteria, extremely low. Um, and then the other thing is H. pylori. Would you say mm -hmm. that that's probably in your top five usually when there's, especially is it more mm -hmm. the upper kind of bloating of the stomach mm -hmm. that might be an H. pylori situation? Yeah, H. pylori is one of the more common things that we see on a stool test because it's the most common infection in the world. So, and the reason why is H. pylori is really easy to pass. If you are sharing saliva with anybody, whether you're kissing them or sharing a drink, you can pass H. pylori really easily and you are more susceptible to getting H. pylori if you have low stomach acid, which is also, as I mentioned, another thing that we often see. So it can be really hard for your gut and your body to fight off these infections that you're exposed to. Um, kind of weird to think about, but your whole digestive tract is an open system from your mouth all the way to your anus. Sorry, that's like the only way to describe it. It is open to the outside environment. Everything that you're breathing in goes through your mouth and goes through your entire digestive tract. So your stomach acid's job is to actually kill things off, anything that enters your stomach. And so H. pylori is one of those things that if the stomach is not acidic enough, it can grow and cause issues, especially like you said, that upper GI bloating and pain and um, some of those the discomfort that can come after meals. Yeah, I had a client who had reached out and she's like, yeah, I've been bloated for like 15 months. And I go, okay, let's test don't guess. And of course, she had high H. pylori. And didn't you say that 70 to 80% of Americans would have it if we tested them? Yeah, most likely. Um, that's the latest research that I read, which is pretty wild. You know, it's like we have all these people walking around with it, passing it to each other. And for some people, it's not problematic. It's when it becomes overgrown that it's problematic. So we're not necessarily trying to like kill off all the H. pylori and make sure it's all gone, but like let's build up stomach acid and your body's natural defenses so that everything else can function properly and so that you can defend yourself the next time that you're exposed to it as well. 
Hopefully we're not scaring people listening because 80% is a pretty high percentage. So if you're listening and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I might have H. pylori, if you're not having any symptoms, you're probably okay. But if you are, that might be something to look into. And one of the best things that you can do if you're listening and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is probably me, without testing, one of the safest and best things that you can do for H. pylori is eat broccoli sprouts. They are really, really great for eradicating H. pylori. So you can grow them on your own. I have an Instagram reel showing you how. You have to scroll back kind of a little bit far on my page, but I have a reel showing you how to do it, or you can buy them at most grocery stores. So if you want to just incorporate a pinch full of broccoli sprouts each day on your eggs, on your salad, whatever, that can actually really help. So like there's a nutrition related thing that you can do to to help if you're like not in the place that you want to get help yet or you know, invest in testing or anything along those lines. I like that. A simple solution for people that might be like, ah, what do I do? Yes. Now, if the cause of bloating is constipation, and I know we're kind of veering a little bit away, but I feel like people that are chronically constipated struggle with bloating, which makes sense. So without going into, you know, a whole constipation podcast episode, what are some simple things that people can do to treat that constipation so we can get rid of this just not so fun bloating? Yeah. And I'm glad you bring this up because I think a lot of people are focused on bloating. They're not necessarily always focused on the constipation because the bloating is visible. You can see it, you can feel it. It makes it hard to fit into your jeans, et cetera. Whereas constipation, although it's not comfortable, you know, it's maybe not top of mind, but all that to say, you can't resolve bloating if you're constipated, it is very, very impossible um, because you have gas buildup, you know, behind blocked stool in your intestines. So there's lots of things that you can do to resolve constipation. Bloating will come after that. Number one is hydrate. And I don't just mean drink water, like hydrate and add minerals to your water. I'm a huge fan of just like waking up, drink 16 ounces of water, add a quarter teaspoon of salt to that water to help actually your cells to absorb the water. If you have really rock hard pebbly stool, you need salt and you need more water to actually draw that water to your colon. So that's a simple, easy, mostly free thing that you can do um, to uh, improve your constipation. The other thing that you can do that is not necessarily like a supplement or thing to take is something called the I love you massage. This is a really simple, easy massage that you can do. If you go on YouTube, it will show you how to do it. But a lot of our clients really like doing that before bed. They'll just use some coconut oil on their stomach and do the massage. And it can be really great at moving the bowels and relieving constipation. More on like the supplement side of things, taking magnesium can be really helpful, whether it's citrate or glyconate, work with your provider on, you know, the correct dose for you. But magnesium can be a miracle worker for constipation. Um, and then another thing that we really like for constipation is ginger tea. So you can drink ginger tea in between meals. If you don't like ginger tea, you can take ginger capsules. Just know that if you have acid reflux, sometimes ginger can be a little bit aggravating. So that might not be the best solution for you. But if you don't have acid reflux, you should be fine. Um, a lot of our clients find that the ginger not only helps with their bloating, but also gets their bowels to move a little bit more completely each day. And that's really the goal is you want to have a complete 
satisfying bowel movement each day, get your bowels to completely empty. Um, you know, the easiest way to tell is like, you should feel relieved after you have a bowel movement. You shouldn't feel like that's it. Or, you know, you are straining to try to get a small amount of stool out. And where does fiber come into play with constipation? Mm-hmm. Most people are not eating enough fiber. It's a between 22 to 30 grams of fiber, depending on where you look. Um, so I always usually just say 25 to 30 grams. Most people are getting like less than half of that, which is crazy. So adding fiber to your meals can be helpful. This does not have to be a disgusting like fiber powder supplement that you're mixing in orange juice like your grandma did. There certainly are fiber supplements that can be helpful, but you can get fiber from food. So fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, beans, legumes, all of those things have fiber, even whole grains. Um, slowly adding fiber can be really helpful, even if you're just adding a handful of vegetables to a meal or a sprinkle of chia seeds on something or hemp seeds or flax seeds or whatever it might be. Slowly working your way towards that 25 to 30 grams can be really helpful um, at moving your bowels. I don't know if you want to get into the difference of like soluble or insoluble, but um, yeah, you know, we can. But I think it's important to remind people like slow and steady. If your fiber intake right now is 10 grams a day, let's say you track your food for a day just to see where your fiber lands and it's 10. Don't panic. That's normal. The average American intake is 13 to 14 grams. So you're real close to the average. But we don't want to go from 10 to 30 because Mm-mm. it's probably not going to go well. Then you'll have more GI related symptoms. Um, my mm-hmm. favorite way for my clients to add fiber, which is very simple, most people love it, is berries. One cup mm-hmm. of raspberries is eight grams. That's not hard. I could crush two cups of berries, and blackberries are real close with seven grams per cup. So usually when my clients struggle, I'm like, do you like berries? Do you like avocados? Let's start there. Very, very mm-hmm. simple addition. But yes. Yeah, and things that people like too. You know, people might not like beans or legumes as much, but like most people like berries, which is a great suggestion. Right. Yeah, but let's dive into the soluble versus insoluble because I feel like it's very confusing to most people. And I keep having to double check my notes to make sure that I'm like, okay, which one is which? Well, here's the deal is most foods have both insoluble and soluble fiber. So I don't like to get too caught up on like you need more soluble or you need more insoluble because naturally if you're just eating more plant foods like we described you're going to get a mix of both that being said there are certain foods that are higher in like soluble fiber specifically that are going to help gel your stool a bit better insoluble fiber kind of acts like a broom so it goes in it kind of sweeps out your intestines those are like your leafy greens like things that are kind of your more roughage, you would call it, whereas your soluble fiber is more the foods that are going to gel things. So like chia seeds are a great example of a soluble fiber. They help gel everything up. You mentioned water. If you drink 30 ounces of water a day, I would not recommend increasing your fiber intake until you can increase your water intake. Because if you're increasing your fiber intake and you aren't drinking enough water, you will be in a world of trouble. So work on your hydration first and then get to your fiber. Ideally, you want at least half your body weight in ounces of water, more likely, you know, 80 to 100 ounces a day for most people. So work on your water first. 
Um, but the other thing that I'll mention about soluble fiber is most soluble fibers contain something called prebiotic fiber. And those are the specific types of fibers that actually fuel your good gut bacteria. And so if this is a new concept to you, newsflash, you have two to five pounds of bacteria in your gut, which is crazy. And these bacteria do so many things for you, but they need fuel just like you do. So they feast off of things that are prebiotic fiber. So including more prebiotic fiber in your diet can be really helpful. Things like onions, garlic, leeks, asparagus, chia seeds, flax seeds. Those are all great. Even bananas. Those are great sources of prebiotic fiber. Um, going to also help your bowel movements in general, but also going to help be a fuel source for those good bacteria that do so much for your body. I like that you mentioned that because I think that when people think about improving their gut health, right away people think probiotic, right? Mm -hmm. I need to take a probiotic. But I feel like if your gut environment is not in a good place, it's pointless to take probiotics. We should start with things that you just listed because that's not just for treating constipation. Like being adequately hydrated, getting good minerals and electrolytes, getting enough fiber, that's going to help kind of heal the gut environment or help your good gut bacteria thrive. And that makes more sense than to just take a probiotic and then those bacteria that you're taking through the supplement, they're just going to die in there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's I think like I'm glad you brought that up because one of the most commonly misunderstood things is probiotics. People think they need to go to Whole Foods, they need to buy the most expensive probiotic and like that's going to solve all their problems. And if you aren't eating prebiotic fiber in your diet, then you really are wasting your money. Um, and also the thing to note about probiotics is that they're strain specific. So even if you go to Whole Foods and you buy the most expensive probiotic, you could be taking the complete wrong strain for you. Just like if you had a headache, you would go and you would take a specific medication at a specific dose for a specific length of time. That's exactly how probiotics are as well. And they need the fuel source, like I mentioned. So you're better off investing in actually including prebiotic fiber first in your diet. And then, you know, you can include foods that have probiotics in them, things like yogurt or kefir, um, whatever you like to help introduce those probiotics, but they kind of act like travelers. So it's like, if you were to go, I know you went to Mexico recently. So like you went to Mexico, you ate the food, you took pictures, you came back. That's exactly what probiotics do in your gut. They come in, they eat the food, and they leave. So you have to take them consistently to get the benefit from them unless you're taking something like a spore, which is probably an episode for another time. But what you can do is foster a healthy gut environment by continuing to introduce those prebiotic foods in your diet. It all starts with a foundation. We can't just out-supplement a poor diet or if you're overall gut health is poor, a probiotic is not going to fix anything. And we don't want people to waste their money, right? We're already oh. spending all the money on all the things, you know, $5 coffees, things like that. Um, <laughs> if you're going to invest any money into your gut health, fiber foods. Mm -hmm. Buy those raspberries, even when they're not on sale. But the berries yeah. are finally back in season, thank goodness. Right now, Sam's Club, oh, the strawberries, the blackberries, we are just crushing through them every single week. I have to buy double. They're so good. So good right now. Now, if someone 
doesn't have like chronic bloating issues. You know, they don't have the hard stomach. They don't feel like they look pregnant, but they often have acute bloating episodes like after lunch, things like that. How can we prevent this or maybe treat it pretty quickly? Like would walking after a meal be helpful to kind of get rid of that post-meal bloat? Mm-hmm. I love walking after a meal. And the reason why is that walking stimulates bile flow. So if you struggle with digestion in, you know, even in a small amount, walking after a meal is going to help with bile flow and it's going to help with gut motility. So it's going to get your gut moving. The other thing it's going to help with is your blood sugar. So you're kind of getting a big bang for your buck by just taking a 10 minute walk after you eat. It doesn't have to be a power walk. Just like go take a stroll around your neighborhood or on your desk treadmill, whatever you have, and it can make a huge difference. Yeah, that's one of my favorite lifestyle hacks, I guess, for our clients because a lot of them eat at work during their lunch breaks. They have desk jobs, but typically they have at least a 15 to 20 minute lunch break. And we all know it doesn't take us 20 minutes to eat our little lunch. Um, So I challenge them, even though like right now it's still winter, um, like, hey, like try not to stay sedentary after you eat, like walk in, fill up your water bottle, like you know, like take a lap around the building, things like that, um, just because of all those benefits, especially just preventing those blood sugar spikes after meals. But if someone Mm -hmm. struggles with bloating, walking, walking even just five minutes after a meal. It makes a huge difference. I personally feel so much better when I do. Yeah, definitely. And if it's sunny outside, bonus, because sunshine is life. And I'm pretty sure that Exposure to sunlight is listed as a thing to improve gut health. Am I wrong? No, you are right, especially morning sun. So if you can get sun within 10 minutes of waking up or sorry, 10 minutes of sun within an hour of waking up, it actually helps regulate your circadian rhythm, which also helps regulate the circadian rhythm in your gut. So it essentially is saying, hey, gut, it's time to be awake so you can turn back on. You don't need to be sleeping anymore. Um, It also helps with melatonin production in the evening, and we all know that sleep is like the best life hack for health, and when you sleep and you are resting and digesting, you will have better gut health, so that's obviously a very simplified version, but yes, get morning sun and improve your overall health and your gut health. Sunshine is life, and I cannot wait for the snow to melt so I can stop (laughs) wearing my parka outside. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I don't know how you do it. Is it Texas that you're- Uh Yes, Heather can't handle the weather up here, but... No, I think I would die. We have like one day below, you know, 40 and I'm like, I'm dying and it's terrible. And my husband's like, wow. Um, I'm from originally from California, so I'm just used to the sun all year long, which I obviously I know is not normal. So. Yeah, North Dakota and Canada would not be for you. No. <laughs> <laughs> so that was acute bloating. Now, if someone has chronic bloating... Do you recommend that people that have had years of bloating get a stool test to get to the root cause without trying all the things? And if they cannot invest in a test, what are some things that they can do? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say a stool test can be helpful if the foundations aren't working for you. So if you are working with somebody and you've addressed you know, the things that we can address without testing. So looking at stomach acid production, gut motility, 
um, looking at your diet, sleep, lifestyle, stress, you know, all of that. If you're like doing all the things and you're like, I am still having issues, that's where testing can be really helpful to identify like what's going on. Is there an H. pylori infection? Is there an imbalance in your gut bacteria? Is there, you know, a parasite? Whatever. That's when it can be helpful. If you can't afford testing, then there are certain things that you can do. I don't like to just like blindly throw supplements at people. Um, but like I said, if you're addressing all the foundations and, you know, everything is good on that end, sometimes there can be really gentle supplements that you can try. And um, there's like specific strains of probiotics that can be helpful at like kind of rebalancing and weeding the gut. Spore-based probiotics are something that we often like to use with clients. Um, now we're actually looking at a lot of the research surrounding immunoglobulins and how those can be beneficial for gut health. None of these I would really necessarily like try on your own. <laughs> um, but those are some things that like I would feel comfortable providing to somebody without testing, but I wouldn't necessarily probably put somebody on like herbal antimicrobials or like really harsh supplements because those can have a damaging effect on the gut just as much as like antibiotics. So you want to be careful with just like taking oregano oil or taking something that, you know, some influencer said was great for bloating because yeah, it might fix it, but like then what else is it causing? So you want to make sure that you're not just randomly taking something. Um, but some of the things like I mentioned, like spore-based probiotics, immunoglobulins, um, you know, gut lining support can be really helpful and safe to take without necessarily doing more harm. Mm -hmm. And speaking of randomly taking something, are there common things that people typically take for bloating relief that you don't recommend? One of them is oregano oil, like I mentioned. We have so many clients that come to us that they're like, I had a yeast infection. I took oregano oil or like so-and-so told me to just take oregano oil every single day. If you look at the research on oregano oil, like it can be helpful at eradicating, you know, unwanted bacteria or things in your gut, but it also is going to affect your good gut bacteria. So it's certainly not something that I would say, just take this every day. But unfortunately, with like all the MLMs and, you know, the companies now that sell bloating supplements and essential oils and whatever it is, these are common things that like, Susie down the road is selling and saying like this cured her bloating, but like, how is that then affecting things down the road and long-term? That's what concerns me because we've seen that a ton on stool tests. We have clients come to us and there's research to support this too, but we have clients come to us that have been on oregano oil or other antimicrobials for years and they have like no good gut bacteria. And I'm like, well, no wonder you're bloated. You have no, none of the keystone beneficial strains. And so it's not necessarily the issue of like, let's just kill off more things. It's like, what can we add? How can we restore balance to the gut? How can we foster these good bacteria? I like that you mentioned L MLMs and we're not going to dive into that because that's definitely a whole thing on its own. But I've been seeing a lot of people selling like this pink powder and showing a lot of before and after of stomachs. And even though it might create temporary relief, I feel like it's a Band-Aid to a bigger problem. Like a lot of these things are Band-Aids and we're not actually getting to the root cause. No. Yeah, it might help for a while, but then what are you going to do? Take that for the rest of your life? I mean, you know. 
At yes. that point, you might as well invest in testing to look at what's actually going on and fix that. You're going to save a ton of money in the long run. Right. We have a few people that sent out some questions for you. So we'll see if we can sneak them in before okay. our time runs out. So what happens to your gut as you age? I love that question. There's some research that's like more definitive on this and some that's like a little bit TBD. Um, but in general, one thing that we do know about not necessarily our gut, but our overall digestive health is that our stomach acid naturally declines as we age. That being said, with stomach acid kind of being top of the funnel for your digestive tract, when you have lower stomach acid, you will have more trouble breaking down food, defending yourself against other pathogens that you may ingest or consume. Um, and so that can put you at greater risk for other things down the road. So that's where it's like, is it the stomach acid that's the main problem that's causing issues as you age? Are there other things at play? Certainly hormonal shifts as you age, especially in females, is going to change things. Um, and that can have effect on your gut. But overall, like you sometimes will see a lower amount of good and beneficial bacteria in the gut, um, you know, lower levels of stomach acid and potentially, you know, being more prone to other, you know, maybe neurological issues. Now you mentioned hormones a little bit. Do women with heavier cycles, cysts or endometriosis bloat more or is it just the food that they eat? Yes, I love this question. There is a connection with the gut. We definitely see clients with endometriosis, PCOS, etc. One of the ways that your body detoxes estrogen is through your stool. So it's very common for individuals that have some of these more estrogen-dominant hormone-related conditions to have also digestive issues. And it kind of is a chicken or egg scenario for a lot of them. But you're never going to go wrong addressing your gut health and opening up those detox pathways. If you're pooping every day, you're getting rid of adequate estrogen most likely, and that's a great way to start. One thing I will mention with endometriosis is there can be adhesions and scar tissue that affect gut motility. So that can be a little bit of a harder situation to manage um, because sometimes you do need you know, visceral manipulative therapies. Um, different massages, et cetera, to actually get scar tissue and adhesions out of the way to allow things to move through quickly. But really, that's kind of part of the whole comprehensive approach is let's look at all the pieces. But yes, getting your bowels moving every day, improving your gut health. Um, broccoli sprouts are actually another way to help with the estrogen detoxification. And there is a marker that we see on the GI map called beta-glucuronidase, which is a measure of estrogen detoxification. So that's something that we often see elevated in our clients that also have hormone-related issues. I don't know about you, but in my practice, most people come to us for sustainable weight loss, and then the gut health kind of becomes a part of the picture. Can mm -hmm. gut health issues prevent weight loss? Like, are people that have a lot of gut problems, is it preventing them from weight loss or making it that much harder? A hundred percent. There are actually specific types of bacteria that can affect metabolism. So that could probably be a whole episode in itself. But yes, just in general, what you know the listener needs to understand here is imbalances in your gut bacteria 
will affect your metabolism. And so the more beneficial bacteria that you have in your gut, the better. Mm -hmm. It all comes back to the gut, it sounds like. It does. It really does, which is so cool and hopefully empowering for people to realize like when I improve my gut health, I can improve every other system in my body, which is awesome. Which makes sense because we eat and then that food goes through the entire digestive system and, you know, we're detoxing estrogen by going to the bathroom. So if we're not pooping daily, estrogen is backed up and that's causing other issues. So it's very nerdy and fun to realize that it's all interconnected. But Mm -hmm. it is it is the root cause. Now, we're going to end with like a rapid fire now. Okay. If we run into each other at a coffee shop, we're in line for our $5 coffees, and then I see that your bag says gut health expert, I'm like, what are three things I can do right now to improve my gut health? What would you say? One, two, three, go. Okay, one, two, three. Um, Sleep seven to eight hours a night, drink 80 to 100 ounces of water a day, and get 10 minutes of sun in the morning. And bonus, like poop every day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that without, <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> but those are the things that are going to help you. Yeah, they can that. control that. They can do those things and the poop will come later. Yes. yes. And then, I mean, from like a food standpoint, this is the fourth thing, but like eat 30 plants a week. Um, there's research to show that 30 plants a week is really what you need to help with that diversity of your gut. So not just fruits and vegetables, but nuts, seeds, beans, legumes, herbs, spices, those all count as plants. I'm glad you specified because I feel like people might be like picturing like plants, like herbs and stuff. And they're like, what? (laughs) I don't even, I can't list 30 of those things. Yeah. (laughs) And where can people find you if they want to learn more about gut health or improve their gut health? So if you want to learn more about gut health, you can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Dr. Heather Finley. Um, I have tons of information on there. I also have a free quiz that you can take, and it's kind of fun. It's what popular song describes your digestive issues. So you can find out which song you are. It's drheatherfinley.co backslash quiz, and that will give you tons of information. Once it tells you your song, it will it will send you a ton of information about improving your gut health. So those are two great places to start. I love that. I haven't done your song quiz. I'll have to see. What song yeah. describes my my gut health, right? That's what you said. Uh-huh. It's super fun. You'll have to take it and let me know. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the channel and share with one friend who would benefit from this message. Need help with your nutrition? Find me on Instagram at DannyVRD or visit our website, pivotnutritioncoaching.com. Thanks for listening.